Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 111 of Control the Controllables. Today we have a coach and player duo who show us exactly what a coach-player relationship should be all about. The best bit of coaching that has happened between me and Tobe was me to him. And he would be the first person to yeah. say that. And we just made, we made a couple of changes to the forehand. And I got Tobe's tell him, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's unreal. It's, it's what Johnny would say. It's as close to a professional forehand as I could have hoped for. <laughs> because his forehand was awful. I'd say to him, look, I've, I never faced a ball like this ever. I said, we've got to try and find a way <laughs> Honestly, in the last in the last year and a half, I would say I've improved 10%. Toby's improved like 65, 70%. <laughs> and that was, of course, Toby Smith, who is the brother of Leon Smith, but he's a lot more than just a relative of a famous person. He's he's been the head coach at Tennis Scotland. He's coached some of the best Scottish players to come out over the last few years including Maya Lumsden, Aidy McHugh, who he spent quite a few years with. And now he's been Johnny O'Mara's coach for the last two or three years. And Johnny O'Mara, he's been as high as 44 in the world, ATP doubles, currently sitting around 55, 60 in the world. And as a combo, not only are they great guys, they're extremely funny They bring a really entertaining show to you all. And if you listen out, you'll also pick up some absolute gems that you'll be able to take away with you. Tennis doesn't always have to be serious. Tennis doesn't always have to just be about the winning. And it really feels like these guys have got a nice balance as a player-coach bond. And it's certainly helping Johnny's career right now. So sit back and I'm going to pass you over to Johnny O'Mara and Toby Smith. So Johnny O'Mara and Toby Smith, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing, Johnny? Yeah, pumped to be here. Um, yeah, just currently in in uh, Sardinia, just finishing my day in day in quarantine. So, so this is a perfect little little chat that we can have here. It's good to have you. And I noticed Toby's already just given us a thumbs up under the instructions from Johnny on Zoom on how he has to be. (laughs) You must be feeling a bit tight, Toby, after all those instructions that Johnny's given you for this, huh? Yeah, as he kind of realises me and technology are not the the best marriage made in heaven, you know. So, uh, yeah, I'm giving my instructions. So lots of thumbs up and head nodding. And it's, it's golden hour in Glasgow right now. The sun's coming in, you know, bringing out that that, that gorgeous Funny. tanned face. <laughs> lovely, sitting here with my diet iron brew. It's lovely. <laughs> but no, lads, I, it, it's great to have you on. Do you, do you know what? I've, I've actually, I have wanted both of you on uh, for, for a long time. But when I watched you 
on. And that's what people might know you for rather than being tennis players and tennis coaches between the lines, the new comedy act of the two of you coming together. I thought I have to bring you both on and, and Johnny, I must admit to being a fan of your vlogs already with Scott Clayton as well. I, I think you've got a big future. Can you tell us a little bit about that then Johnny? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was tennis Scotland's idea. This one, the one that me and Toby are doing Toby, well, Toby wasn't really a part of it, but I mean, he, he just started taking centre stage. He started shining in it. So he had to have, he had to have a bigger part. Um, no, it was basically just to, just to kind of see what, what goes on. They, they got a camera out to me in, in Australia and said, you know, maybe you should video what's happening in quarantine, um, show your room, this sort of stuff, and, you know, just kind of take it from there. And like you said, I'd, I'd, I'd done some stuff with Clayton in the past, which... I absolutely loved and it's yeah it's definitely something that I really enjoy doing I love you know just kind of yeah make make a fool out of myself make a fool out of, of others which happened to be Toby unfortunately um, Thanks, mate. <laughs> and yeah I think it was quite a good timing for it because obviously the, you know the, the 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 tennis world was looking at Australia and you know there's a few a few others like Ben Foster I know he's doing something uh, with with Watford and he's doing like his GoPro and stuff like that and I've watched a few of them and it was you know, it's great to, to see that. Um, we, we were hoping to get a little bit more of the players and stuff like that, um, the interactions there. But obviously, it's, it's a little bit difficult with, with the COVID rules and not being able to actually uh, hang out with everyone because uh, I think that'd also be interesting, just kind of see what, what everyone's up to. There's, there's obviously a bit where, where Evo and, and the Skupskis were, were upstairs at the yeah. food restaurant. Yeah, and it was just, just, I think it was a good idea from Tennis Scotland, just kind of, show people what what kind of is going on and we've done we did a few out there and we'll we'll probably do do a few more i was i was expecting a fair amount of abuse i remember i was i was sat in the coffee shop the morning it went live and i kept on looking at my phones i told this is gonna come any second now <laughs> and i remember it was nori actually he sent a message into the group chat and he said i can't believe what i've just seen and I remember going, oh, here we go, Tom's like, <laughs> the, chor the chorizo and poached eggs not tasting so good now. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> it was someone was stealing avocados from the player restaurant. So so that was fine. But uh, oh, well, uh, I, li yeah, I like them a lot. I must admit, I think, I think Johnny, I've all, I think you do a great job with it. But I, I have to now hand it over to the sous chef. Uh, over there, Toby. Oh, yes. You know, he, he, he's brought you in. And I think you, you do play that role very well as well. Yeah, I think I'm starting to turn into like Carl Pilkington. I seem to be that grumpy guy, which is actually quite ironic because probably between the two of us, I think I'm Mr. Uh, Mr. Positive. But uh, yeah, Johnny's kind of set me up nicely to be the grumpy guy, I think. <laughs> But, it but is a, I think it's it's a big thing, a big part of tennis that I think, you know, we've had so many people now on this podcast and they talk about the whole tennis ecosystem, the whole, the fact that we can't just take for granted that tennis is going to be a sport that it's there forever. You know, all three of us make our living out of it and just being able to get those insights, get to know the characters, be able to do something like that. I, I think there's a, there's a big part that can be played there. Yeah, definitely. I think it was interesting seeing the, you know, even what, what does Joe Salisbury, what's he doing for lunch? What's a, what's a day look like for him? We, again, we were, there's loads more that we could have done. You know, we, we didn't even get to, to speak to Evo. We, we were with Evo a lot that week when he won the ATP. So, you know, it would have been good to get some more of that. But 
you know, there's lots of lots of opportunities. I'm sure, I'm sure me and Carl will get will get back at it at some stage. <laughs> but I, I think it's it's very interesting the fact that you know you can start to see all the interactions between the players. You know, it's not just the, a lot of people just see what's happening on the TV and watch the matches. But there's so many relationships and interactions that are going on. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I'd like to think, I mean, Johnny, we've got a very good relationship and we actually got on great. And it's just quite nice for people to see that, you know, when that relationship is very close, then people start to understand what, what we do is work. So, you know, the involvement that we do, the commitment that we show to the players, and it, it really is about caring about the player and actually how much it means to you. You know, that's really important. It's not just, you know, that I think all of us would agree hitting a tennis ball is relatively easy. It's all the other stuff that goes with it. And I think that's something that, that probably comes through quite a lot. Yeah, and, and, and that comes through loud and clear, I think, with you two. And that's what's so nice to see is that connection. And, and you do see and you hear about it on the tour sometimes that you've got one coach coaching a player one week and then the next week they're coaching another player and then the next four weeks later they're coaching someone else there's a lot of movement happens whereas these kind of meaningful relationships are there as well and obviously your relationship goes back a long way you know we normally start talking on the podcast about how your tennis journey started but Johnny if you go back the first time you remember meeting Toby or, or what, when that relationship started, I'm, I, I would guess it's probably 18 years ago or so. Yeah, it was, I mean, I don't, I don't actually remember the, the, like that early. I'm, I'm sure Toby, I think he says that it was, you know, maybe when I was eight, nine or 10, when I started training at Sterling, something like that. Um, but the, the first, the first interaction I remember was um, it was the nationals. That was the one that I, that I remember. Um, you know, when I was maybe 14, I think, um, you know, for sure, I've been I've been around Tobes and um, before that. But I mean, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, the, the first the first one was was Nationals. And um, we there was a group of us there. Uh, I actually had a good week that week. Um, and I remember we, we did this thing at the start of the of the week that it was kind of you know, how do you want to play this week? What what sort of tactics do you want to do you want to play like? And and uh, Toby, being the 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 kind of movie geek that he is, he brought it into kill. It was Kill Bill, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kill. It was, it kill was something Bill. like that. Yeah. And it Remember was that. if you if you were Kill Bill, what would your personality be? And I want it to be similar to to how you'd play what would tennis. You, your meta assassination be. That's what it was. Yeah, so it was like, what would your name be? How would you go about it? And kind of link it into tennis. And uh, I remember he went first, and that was a real shock to the system. Because, I mean, I was only 14. And he was, he was telling me how he'd, like, lock, he'd lock me in the room. And he'd, he'd, he'd either give me... It was something like he'd give me, like, a scorpion or a piece of paper, and I could choose which way I wanted to go. Um, I think he, he said that was mad, by the way. <laughs> It was because he said when he played tennis, his game was so boring and it was so boring to watch <laughs> that you'd rather like paper cut yourself. So, uh, so that was my first one. I remember I chose Miss, I chose Mr. Boo. So that was my nickname That's the whole right. week. And it was like, you know, I was, I was a counter puncher. So I was, you know, I was hiding in the cupboard and I would, I'd pop out and, and I'd go boo. So my name would be Mr. Boo. And I actually took that onto the court and it worked great. I remember the whole week yeah. just going around saying Mr. Boo. So for like, three, four years, I didn't know Toby as Toby. I knew him as Psycho, because that was his name. 
<laughs> Toby, Toby, you have to give us some context here. This could go downhill very quick from here. So come on, quickly yeah. give us the context. <laughs> this was me just trying to be a cool coach with a young guy. <laughs> I'm actually really, really quite dull. <laughs> I'm certainly not a psycho. <laughs> Did you play the spoon game with them as well? That's something I haven't done with Johnny, but he's too sharp. He would be on that far too quick. So it was with players like... Uh, yeah, it was the young guys. That was with like uh, Ewan Lumsden, Aidan McHugh, Callum McGear. And that was an absolute cracker. I think that was, was that an ITF in Belgium years ago? So that was uh, every morning at breakfast, we actually did them up. So we did the spoon game. Amazing. Never get picked up on that either. <laughs> and, f- and for the listeners in thinking, what the hell's the spoon game? It's, it's a game that you have four spoons you make different patterns and you have to work out how it comes up to a number, adds up to a number between zero and five. And it's, I know that myself and Toby took, I think we took the under 12 trip away <laughs> a few years ago. I think Maya was on it. Gabby Taylor beyond. That's right, that was in Italy, wasn't it? Yeah. Johnny Gray. And, and again, how that all links, what I love about that, those games, I'm not completely sold on the psycho Mr. Boo one yet, but maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll learn about that over a beer. <laughs> But just, but just how, how it links to the game. And I remember there was, it might've been Johnny Gray. He hadn't got yeah. worked out what the pattern was for three days. And it was like, hey, look, when you're on the tennis court, there's no way to hide. You, kinda, you can't walk off that tennis court, you know, until the very end. You know, you don't give up. You keep going until that final ball's played. And, and very much that's what that game was about as well. And, you know, that self sense of achievement after four days when he did get it, you know, was, was massive and says a lot about the character, you know, of them as well. So I do, I think... It's great to see that. And is that, Johnny, would you say that's still in your relationship now that there's kind of a lot of game playing and it seems to be, you know, there's, there's a lot of fun within the relationship, which I guess a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily think of a coach-player relationship like that. No, I think, I think that's exactly right. You know, and it's, it's funny that that's obviously my earliest memory of, of Toby and that's kind of, it's exactly how we still are now. And it's probably why, um, you know, I'm, playing the best tennis I, I have. It's probably why, um, you know, Toby helped me to, uh, you know, achieve, you know, where I am right now. It's probably, you know, because I think I knew him from that young age. I knew, you know, I had fun. We went on these trips. Those for me were some of the best days, you know, of my career. Those, those, those trips to Bournemouth, that sort of stuff where, you know, it was literally fun and that's why you play tennis. So I guess still being with, with Toby now and still literally doing the same sort of things it you know it kind of just makes me stay in the mindset of you know this this is fun and this is you know this is why we do it I I remember for a few years after that you know when I was trying to finish juniors go into to seniors and you know I was a little bit with the LTA and I'd I'd have different coaches you know every six months kind of thing you know I never clicked with them at all because I don't know if it's their fault I don't know if it was my fault I was probably, you know, very uncoachable um, at, at certain ages. Um, but I also feel they didn't really help me become coachable, which I think is an important part of it as well. And at the same time, you know, it's difficult as growing up to kind of think of a coach who's older, he, you know, you see him as a man. It's difficult to all kind of, you know, link with them. Whereas, you know, with Toby, I see him as, you know, really, really good friend. So it's not just 
I have the respect for him as a coach, but I also have the respect for him as a friend. So, you know, if I need to have any big chats, if I need to, you know, if he needs to tell me something or, you know, it's just pure respect. It's, it's, you know, just say just the exact same wavelength. And, you know, we've got a great connection and that's, you know, I'd say it's probably down to the fact that I know that, you know, he knew me since I was eight, nine, 10, you know, he definitely cares about the person, not just the player, which is, which is important. Um, and yeah, like I said, you know, it's, it's still fun now. It's the exact same as, as going to Bournemouth. Every time I go with, with Toby, you know, some, some of the travel days, some of the, the meals, it's, it's carnage. And that's, you know, that's what you want tennis trips to be. But I guess even listening to you there, it's like to have any meaningful relationship takes time. And whereas if we take it a federation, so Johnny O'Mara, age 16, right, you're coming in, doesn't matter if you're British, if you're Spanish, Serbian, whatever, it's, it's the same everywhere in the world. You're coming in, we're going to sponsor you for the next year. And this is your coach it's really hard to make that relationship work when you're starting from that position, you know, because, because to, to, to have that trust that you guys very clearly have, that's not going to happen in two weeks. That's not going to happen in two months, you know? So, so you, you, you said that maybe someone could have helped you be more coachable when you reflect on that, how, how could they have done that? I guess just uh, it would be a good message for coaches listening to, to try and understand that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough one because, you know, I'm still kind of in that, in that journey where you're still kind of learning it. But, you know, I always just look back on it and I'm, you know, I'm definitely open to saying I was, I was uncoachable at times. Um, you know, when I was at NTC, it would be like, it'd be like a three week cycle for me, you know, two good weeks and then one terrible week. Um, but I, I never really, I never really felt that. Yeah. I don't think I, I was given much. I was just kind of, I was just kind of told off for those weeks. Um, never really, never really told any, you know, any ways of, of how to, of how to change that, anything like that. And again, I think something that Toby does is, you know, he kind of knows how I work and, and he knows that, I kind of have to work it out for myself. You know, whether that's a negative or a positive, that's obviously just a trait that I have. And some some coaches or or, or whatever didn't, you know, wouldn't like that or wouldn't want that. They'd almost want to tell you this is how it is. And, you know, it's kind of like that that old joke of you if your dad or your parents are telling you to do something, you want to do something else because you wanna you wanna rebel against them. Whereas I think Toby, I always think I I'm winding him up, but you know, he's he's probably a couple of steps ahead of me. And he, he's getting me to that that point quicker than, you know, if he was just just, just tell me it straight. So I yeah. think he's always trying to, like, nudge the correct answer, nudge, and then I'll find it out. Um, you know, and he, he obviously understood that about me. And, you know, I've probably been properly working with Tobes now since I was, you know, 22, 23. Um, and that was, you know, I, I decided to stop singles and go into doubles. But that was when I started you know, winning a lot of matches and, and doing pretty well on the dubs tour. So I think it's, you know, obviously important to learn that about yourself. But I also think you need, you know, advice from from people. And it's not just it's not just tennis advice. It's it's, you know, trying to work out how you how you work, really. Toby, I want to bring you in in a minute, but there's what you've said there has really hit home with me from a there's a Robin Van Persie podcast. He was on the High Performance podcast. I don't know if you, you've listened to it, but if not, you should. It's, it's fantastic. And, and he talks about advice that he's giving his son. 
So his son's 13, 14-year-old plays for Ajax or Feyenoord Academy team. And where he basically had a conversation with his son where his son was complaining. He said, look, you, you can continue complaining all you want. I'll still love you. He said, you can do that, but that that's being that's going the loser route. Uh, but if you choose to go the loser route, that's fine. I still love you exactly the same. <laughs> but but just actually looking at it yourself a little bit might be how how winners winners will think. And he really talked about how Arsene Wenger did that to him as well. How it was very much around guiding. And Arsene Wenger had a chat with him, and he said. Basically, you're nowhere near as good as these guys, Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp. And, and he said to Arsene, he said, well, I know, but can you tell me why not? He said, no, you're going to have to find that out yourself. <laughs> and that was that was the way that Arsene yeah. Wenger went went about it. And it, it, it really was, a, a, I guess it's the, the, the way that people learn, like you say, Johnny, but ultimately, if you find it out yourself, you go through those feelings, then it sticks, you know, a little bit like if you find your way with a, with a satellite navigation system, the next day you take the sat nav away, you probably will get lost. Whereas if you get a bit lost on the way to a certain place and you've got your map and you're checking, do I go left? Do I go right? And you feel the route, then it probably sticks with you forever. 20 years later, you might take that route. So that obviously, Toby, I've known you for years. You've had some lovely words there from Johnny. You are an absolutely brilliant coach. My, my question actually to you has, have you ever coached someone who actually wanted the more direct route in terms of the information being given. And actually you found that that relationship didn't work the other way around. Um, again, I think it's like the first thing, whenever you're working with somebody, it's like the biggest thing you have to do is spend time to learn about the person. I think it's very easy to go straight in. And as a younger coach, I would have been very much focusing on only the tennis I think that's almost like the, the last thing that I would do now. So you spend time, you know, for me as a coach, it's spending time with the player in a restaurant, traveling with them, finding out what they're like off the court. And then once you start to build up that relationship, then you kind of work out what the person needs and possibly what they want as well. So I remember, and I'm sure you'll be okay with me saying it, when I was working with Aidan McHugh for a, for a long time, he was very much just don't waste time. I don't want to do the guiding or, or finding out about things. Just tell me what I need to do. Yep. And if there was things that we didn't know, we would go and get the information. And it was like one plus one equals two. It was very direct and it worked. I mean, we were together for a long, long time. Um, it was a very different relationship to what I've got with Johnny, but it, it worked for Aiden um, and it was the right thing for him. I think working with Johnny, I think what we've kind of done, it feels far more, I think, in reference to what you're saying about trips to Bournemouth. Remember when we did a lot of work at Tennis Scotland, we had a very successful period with a lot of good players doing well in British events and, and even internationally as well. But the, the, the main thing about that, that time was we always travelled as a team and everybody was working together. So I think now working with Johnny, it feels like I, I get the same feeling when I'm packing my bag that I'm going on a trip with Johnny so like if we are going to think like, obviously not with you in Italy this week but we're going to meet up in Serbia I'll, I'll get the same excitement and buzz that I'm going on a trip with Johnny and it feels like we're always doing it together as a team and it, that feels important and 
you know, I think as well as a team, we, we both know we're not perfect in lots of areas. And we're quite happy that if there's things that are missing from either of us, we're quite happy to go and seek advice from other people to help us out and help our team. And it feels very much like that. It's a nice feeling as well. It's good. Very good. And, and when you go back to your kind of first thoughts, because often coaches, we know players before players know us as coaches. You know, so Johnny's first memory was you of you was probably when he was 14. But Johnny was the best player in the UK from my memory at under 10. You know, he was small, skillful, loved a, loved the drop shot, you know, had some serious hands on him. How, how good was he when he was younger? Well, I kind of... I was aware of Johnny, um, but he was always the players I was I was working with at the time when I was getting more involved with like the, the better players was maybe like with Maya. So Maya would be a couple of years younger than Johnny. Yeah. So I was always working in that age group. And I actually remember because I've been so used to working like with under 10s and under 12 players. I remember Eleanor Lightbody took me down to Solihull and I'd not, not actually been on court with 14-year-old players. And she said, can you take the warm-up? And I remember going on court being very, very anxious and actually just amazed at the level of, you know, watching Johnny play. Johnny was the best player at the tournament and watching him play, I just felt like it was watching uh, kind of the first time I was watching like an ATP mini player. Um, but I felt very anxious because I'd been so used to working with under 10 and under 12 players. So that was kind of like realigning the goalposts as in, crikey, now I've got a player who's 14. I've now got a 12-year-old player how to get them as good as this guy, Johnny O'Mara. So it was quite exciting seeing that, but generally it was quite amazed that a 14-year-old could play that well. You know, it's quite, quite a surprising, surprising situation to be in. At what age did you realise you were good, Johnny? Um, yeah, to be honest, I, I thought I was, yeah, probably around 11, 12 was, was probably, probably my glory years, actually. Halcyon um, <laughs> days. Yeah, I look back at those days and I, and I definitely think that, you know, that guy would give me a bit of a run for my money now. But uh, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I, I took tennis pretty seriously, actually, around that age. I played a lot of tournaments in the UK and fortunate that we had such a good age group. I mean, we had so many players at 95. And then after that, I kind of, you know, I stayed in school a bit more. So I kind of drifted back and people started growing. Like you said, I was kind of you know, I was small at 11 or 12, but everyone was small at 11 or 12. So, yeah, then, you know, people started to grow and stuff. But, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I thought I was I thought I was playing pretty decent ball at around, around 11 and 12. But do, do you think, I guess, if we almost split your career into singles and doubles, because I, th I don't think anyone can doubt now you've, I mean, I know you're sitting around 60-ish now, but you've been top 50 in the world doubles ultimately you're making a career for yourself, you know, and like I absolutely tip my hat to that. But if we now bring it back to singles, because you were so good at that age and there was mini Andy talk and there was, you know, there was a lot of that talk coming out of Scotland and out of the UK. Do you think that you maybe then felt you had a career to protect as a singles player? Uh, what do you mean? Is that why I went into doubles, or no? So you, you as a you as a singles player who you know were pretty shit hot when you were younger. I, I if I use the terminology I think you used on Chris Souter's podcast that you felt maybe you copped out a little bit at times when you when you were on the court. Do you think that was almost to protect yourself because you felt like 
because you were good and there was a lot of hype around you, do you, do you, do you feel that you ever then almost protected that career that you hadn't had yet? Um, maybe. I mean, I definitely, well, I mean, when I, when I was younger and, you know, you know, I'd always be asked what, you know, what you're going to do when you're older. I never saw anything other than being a tennis player. Um, oh. And to be fair, I never, I never actually, when I was younger, I never actually said, oh, I see myself being, you know, a professional singles player. Obviously, you know, that was, that was what I wanted to be doing. But for me, and I think it's probably, you know, an important thing that I, I would, I always think is I wanted to be a tennis player. I wanted to yes. be on the ATP tour. Um, and I wanted to be a tennis player, whether, you know, at the time, for sure that meant singles. But then, you know, obviously moving into doubles, that was a big reason as to why I did that was because, you know, it's still on the ATP tour. It's still, it might not have been what I wanted to do when I was younger, but, you know, it's still there. Um, but I, I definitely think so. I think, I think that I knew I was good. Again, I don't think I was, I don't think I was helped with that sort of, um, I definitely was always labeled potential. I was definitely always labeled talented. Uh, and I hated those words. And I openly told people I hated those words. And I remember quite a few, you know, phrases that kind of have stuck by me when I was playing matches that, um, you know, I was always the better tennis player on the court. So, you know, if I didn't win the match, I did something wrong otherwise, which, you know, I didn't take that very well because, you know, I... I probably tapped out a few times because of that thinking, well, if I'm not winning this, I'm doing something wrong or, or something like that. I always, I always saw it as a negative. I always saw potential as a negative. I always saw talent as a bit of a negative because I remember at the time I'd be sharing a room with Luke Bambridge at, at NTC. And I remember always thinking like, you know, why? Yeah, I get that I've got good, you know, hand skills maybe. And, you know, I've got, I can hit the drop shots. I can hit lobs. I feel like I, I can hit quite a lot of the shots, but, you know, Luke Bambridge can do one month, five hours a day, and he's not tapping out of a session. You know, he, he, he's giving it 10 out of 10. And I looked at him and I said, that's a talent, you know, like there's, there's different, there's different talents. So I think I definitely struggled with a few, you know, a few of the, the words when I was younger. And I think, I think from a young age, I was also quite realistic as well. I wasn't, you know, when I was younger, I was definitely all, you know, a little bit like I want to be the next Andy Murray. I want to be Wimbledon champion. But it definitely dawned on me pretty quickly how difficult that is. And, you know, I kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I kind of knew that I probably, you know, that's not realistic. It's, it's kind of, I, I just felt like I had a different mindset that I have now. I have that same mindset that I have now. And it wasn't really accepted at the time. And, you know, you're young and stuff, so you can get influenced by, you can get influenced very easily by what's, what's being said, what's being around you. Um, and it would definitely be interesting to, to kind of, you know, if, if, if I just stayed in Scotland, maybe, and I'd, I'd worked with Toby for longer and, you know, these things didn't happen, maybe, you know, maybe I would have gotten a little bit higher in singles. I think I, I always would have probably come up a little bit short because of, you know, like you said, the, you know, the, the flaws would still probably be there that, you know, kind of stopped me getting higher in singles. Um, but yeah, it, it, it would have been interesting to almost, you know, know what I know now and, and be able to, you know, almost coach myself a little bit when, when I was younger and, and maybe stop some of the things that I, 
you know, I was that stayed in my head during matches, during sessions. It's a great answer. And I think, you know, thanks for your honesty on that. And I think those words that you talk about, talent, potential, I think as coaches or as parents, we we don't quite realize the impact that that can have on a youngster and and how it can have such a such a negative impact in 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 lots of ways and i also absolutely love what you said there about you know the ability to do that for a month is is a talent you know the ability to serve at 135 miles an hour is a talent you know the ability to to be able to to get into Alex Dimanua, get into the corner, and then a second later be in the other corner, hitting off the outside leg, is, is a talent. Whereas traditionally we think of hand skills as talent, but quite often those that have hand skills seem to get fed that from quite a young age. I don't know if you as a coach, Toby, if if that's something that you you have seen happen over the years as well, or what your advice to any coaches out there or parents would be on that, that type of subject. Yeah, well, I think looking specifically at Johnny's case, so I think, you know, there's a little bit of scar tissue from the past where, you know, he's not been, you know, rewarded or, or praised for, for all the skills that he has and I think when you're working with a player when you start to take the time to find out about what makes that player tick then you can kind of say well look where do you see yourself going as a player what do you see your skills is there any areas that you would like to try and improve and I think a lot of the time I mean I know I used to do it myself as well is it's very easy to bark at a player and say you need to be doing this because another player does that and you compare this guy works really hard. Why can't you do the same? Whereas, you know, if I'm working with Johnny, I'd be saying, listen, you have incredible hand skills. You're unbelievable at this stuff. Maybe it would be worth trying to see if you can do a little bit more of the, you know, let's go to the gym a little bit more. John, I'll come along with you. I'll do it with you. We'll help you out. We do it as a team. But it's easy just to kind of say, you don't work hard enough. Start moving your feet. Start doing this. The other guys do it. If only you could do that. And it's a very, very negative Thing. And I think as well for the player's self-esteem and, and just their general well-being, the player would then take that off the court and, and I think the players become unhappy. Yeah. Whereas if you can spend the time to actually talk to the player, find out how do they feel about the game, how do they see themselves, and that's when you can start unlocking a lot more of that potential that the player has. And I'm sure, you know, and Johnny as well, I'd like to think as well, when we're doing stuff and I'll be very honest with you about some things that need to get done, but I'll do it in a certain way that actually we can work on it together. And actually it feels like it's a positive thing that we're going to try and improve where it'd be very easy to say, you can't do this. You can't do that. Fix it. And then all of a sudden the whole thing gets negative and it's, it's just not, a, not a good feeling for the player. I don't think. Very good. And when you talk about when did in your heart of hearts, Johnny, when did you know that probably singles wasn't for you? Um, I'm not sure exactly when. Um, I, I knew I knew I was you know I was on the futures tour and stuff, but you know there was there was a lot of the time where you know I kind of knew I wasn't 100 percent at it, and I was still I was winning a lot of doubles matches. I was I was doing okay in the singles, but you know I knew there was areas where. Um, you know, I, I was struggling. I was seeing, I was seeing other guys. I was seeing what they were doing, and I kind of, you know, I knew it was going to be difficult. I knew I probably didn't have, well, I probably didn't have the resources uh, to feel like I could make the the improvements or the gains. I probably didn't have the desire uh, to do that. 
so I, I think I think I was probably playing around at it for a little bit, um, you know, doing a bit of coaching to, to make some money and then going to play futures, which, you know, that's it, it's madness doing that because, you know, you're never going to be able to compete against these guys when it's when it's that difficult, especially when you're not you're not fully engaged. So, you know, I had some I think it was 2016, 17 when I started having the chats that I'd probably been thinking for a while. But to be honest, the the good thing towards the end of my singles was that I started traveling with Clayton um, and I wasn't traveling with a, I wasn't traveling with a coach. Um, and, you know, I think, I think Clayton had probably made the decision that he wanted to go into doubles. I was actually having the best period I had in singles. Um, you know, I was thinking one of futures made a few finals and I was actually playing well more because, you know, I'd probably taken the pressure off myself because in my head, I was probably thinking, you know, me and Scott are on a pretty good run here, doubles-wise, like, you know, that kind of looks like that's where the future is going to be. So I probably eased off the pressure of playing singles and I was probably just enjoying it a bit more. Um, plus also, you know, travelling with Scott, it was, you know, it was unbelievable unbelievable fun. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop that. So, yeah, it was probably, I probably knew fairly early that was something I was going to do. And then obviously I knew that, that Louis was, was absolutely smashing players, in the top hundred, I knew it was a good time to to try and get in on his and his knowledge. You know, I think it's it, it's so tough to be to get to the top, but you know, whatever you're doing, whether it's you know singles, doubles, football, uh, you know, you're obviously doing your podcast. And if you wanted to get to the to the top of that, it's you have to be so dedicated and committed. And are we not at the top? What? Well, I think we're getting there. Is this not it? Is this not it? Yeah, having having Omar and Toby Smith on, I'm not sure we're quite at the top. But I thought this was um, it. I thought this was like the moment, you know, having you boys on. But no, so, absolutely. So I, I made that decision early, and I said, "Well, you know, if I stop playing singles now and I fully invest in doubles, you know, maybe when I'm 28, 29." You know, I can make top 10. I can be competing in slams. And and that for me was a much, uh, you know, it, it seemed like a, a much better idea, a much better option. And, and yeah, I finally made that decision, I think, after wet the bed at, at Wimby Precures. I think you were there, Tom. Complete, <laughs> oh, completely, <yes. laughs> lost, completely lost my legs against Alex Ward. Uh, second round yeah. pre-qualies. Uh, and I think I realised then... Huh? Yeah, I think I realized. I think I realized then that I probably, you know, I didn't have, I didn't quite have, have everything that you needed for singles. Because I mean, you need a lot for singles. So, um, yeah, that was when we made the decision. A very brave decision to make at that age, but it's obviously turned out. I mean, how when when you think about how many people just kind of hammer those futures for seven, eight, nine, ten years, and probably then miss the opportunity actually maybe to jump into to to being to being doubles players. I know again. And I'm going to give him a couple of shout outs today, Chris Suter. You know, I listened to both of your podcasts with Chris today just to try not to, you know, I know a lot of people listening would have already listened to you guys to try and get some some new stories, some new content. But but I know that, Toby, you were part of the, those discussions with Johnny. And, and, and I guess you probably just played a role of guiding him to come to his own decisions. But what was your thoughts at that stage? Yeah, well, again, even looking back at that, I mean, I wouldn't say I've 
I would have the most experience in guiding a player to ATP. I absolutely zero on that. But again, it was like, just like going back to the other stuff we were talking about before, it was chatting to Johnny about where do you see yourself? What's your skill set? Where do you see yourself going in tennis? Do you want to be doing futures for another five, six, seven years? And maybe not, and then, and also at the time realizing maybe not having the skills to get out of that. And then just, just talking to them and spending the time to actually, where, where do you see yourself staying involved in tennis, making a career and a living? So it was, I think a lot looking from the outside in, I'm not going to play singles anymore. I'm just going to play doubles. Sometimes that comes across as quite a negative thing, but actually the way it was done was incredibly positive. It was like, you know, potentially you could see yourself on the ATP tour as a professional tennis player, having a career making money. And that was something talking about him as a person, him as a player, his skill set was obviously more attuned to doubles. So let's have a go at it. And uh, right now, I mean, it's been an incredible decision. And I think with the time that it was spent in the last couple of years talking about on and off court things, I think you can now see yourself being on the tour for the next 10 or 15 years and, and being very successful, whether that's currently, you know, staying top 50, top 60, which is an amazing achievement, or now potentially having the chance to actually going further than that. So it's just knowing your skill set and spending time to find out what you want on and off course. I think that's been something we've done an awful lot of. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking then, do you remember that? Uh, I was thinking about that match just then. The uh, the Alex Ward match, and yeah, that's uh, a cracker. <laughs> yeah, so you remember that I was, I mean, I was I was mentally having a rotter. I was playing poor. Yeah. I was mentally poor, and me and Clayton were trying our nuts off to try and get a wild card uh, for the doubles. <laughs> and I remember being like six one four one down, <laughs> right on the verge of fully tanking you know I was I was I was on the edge yeah. of the cliff you know I was still trying I was you know I was going I was kind of going about it I was on the cliff to you know literally walking side to side because I thought well there's no way I'm winning this match I clearly I clearly not in the right state to do anything and I remember I, I think I picked up a ball beside you and you, you just you just calmly went and you said something you said something like it's in your best interest to try here <laughs> I remember, I remember. I think it was more like uh, Johnny, shut up and don't yeah. f u c k this up. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think it was. I think I think you were. I think you worded it exactly like that. And I yeah. and you know, looking back on it, if any other coach or something had told me that when you know you've got the fog in your forehead about you're playing this match, you you, you can't, you don't know what's going on. You know, you, you're so clouded. If someone had said to me, "This yeah. is in your best interest," I would have absolutely snapped. But I remember thinking, yeah. why? I remember thinking, why is he saying that to me? That's really. And then I went, "That's a bit I weird." Got, I think I've got my other wild card for doubles here. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, my feet were engaged. I was like, "Come on, let's make this like six three or something." Yeah. Just don't mess this up. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, no, that's brilliant. And in in terms of, in terms of how, once you made the decision with doubles. Did it a little bit like, I suppose, the interim manager thing. You know, you often get someone comes into a football club, they're an interim manager, you know, they're just kind of playing. And that's what it looked like with you and Scott. Like, I remember you and Scott playing a match against Lloyd Glasspole, who I know is your partner this week, and Josh Ward-Hibbert in Glasgow. 
and I was absolutely fuming with those boys after that match because you got you completely bullied them with energy, with with everything, with level. And I, I remember actually speaking to you and Scott afterwards and saying, you boys have got a serious career ahead. And I mean, it was you were so sharp. Then then you've now saying, right, I'm not playing singles. I'm just going the doubles way. That's now how I'm going to make my money. What did it change mentally or, or were you just able to just ride that wave? Um. No, we de- we definitely we rode the wave for a while. It it has it has definitely changed a bit now because um, I remember not caring about doubles when I was playing singles, and I I think about that mentality. It's such a good mentality to have because you obviously want to win, but you're not that bothered because you know that you've got singles the next day. Mm. So you know you're serving at at nine eight, and and you're feeling great about it. So you just smash one down. I'm serving at nine eight now, and I'm. I've got the absolute shakes, you know, I can barely walk to the baseline. Um, but that's, you know, that, that mindset's obviously now changed because that's now what I really care about. And that's what you, you know, I have to try and win the doubles. Uh, but it, it didn't change for a while. And I think that was, again, that was, you know, it's a similar relationship I have with Toby. I had with Scott. So, you know, we trusted each other a hundred percent. He knew exactly what, what was going on with me. I knew exactly what was going on with him. Um, and it almost felt, you know, on a small level, of course, to, you know, playing like how the brother Brian brothers play, you know, how the fact that they just know exactly what's happening with each other. And that was just kind of, yeah, how, how I felt it was with Scott. We were just, we were almost, you know, just, just like one out there. And I have to mention Louis, Louis Kaye. And he was, he was on the podcast. He's actually just moved into second place on our podcast downloads behind Dan Evans, actually. So uh, you've got, you boys, you've got to get some serious social media marketing to, to reach those guys. But I think that, that also says a lot about Louis. You know, people just want to listen to Louis and the impact Louis had. I saw something the other day, like it's obscene. It's some, what, 14 players now inside 104, whatever it might be. The guy's obviously a genius. One thing I'd love to get into, and starting with you, Toby, actually, is you're Johnny's coach, but Toby's obviously ha- Toby. Louis obviously had had a, had a big impact on Johnny. How how does that relationship work in terms of Louis kind of, I suppose, overseeing it, and you you being the day to day deliverer? Yeah, well, basically, I'd started. I think I first really got involved with Louis years and years ago with Maya, and she was ten. So I'd always kind of known him. And then we were very fortunate that Jamie invited myself and two of the boys, Ewan Lumsden and Aidan McHugh, to Boca Raton for a training camp with Jamie. And that's when we first, when I first started to really start understanding about doubles and, and, and getting to know Louis. Louis is obviously, he's got a reputation of being quite hard and quite, you know, quite ruthless on the court. But I got, to, I started to get to know him and, he was incredible because he kind of just put me under his wing. So I, I would kind of say Louis like a, a full-on mentor. Um, and he's always, always been very, very generous, passing on all his knowledge and information. And when I started working with Johnny, then obviously that was me now working more directly with Louis. Um, so I chat to Louis most of the time. I chat to him two, three times a week now. Um, normally what happens is if I'm with Johnny, if, if there's something that we need to work on, we would go down to NTC for maybe like three or four days and then we'll go in with, see, like Dr. Louis. We've got two or three things that we need to work on. Louis, 
I mean, again, I've, I've got no ego on the court, so Louis goes ahead, does all his work with, with Johnny. I can write notes, and then what happens is when I go on the road, I kind of just remind Johnny on how to do things or just remind him on different things that Louis suggested that we work on. And that relationship with, between me and, me and Louis, it's almost like I can sift through a lot of the stuff so I can be more direct with Johnny about what he needs to remember. Yeah. But Louis's been, been phenomenal, phenomenal. And for you, Johnny, when I think of you as a tennis player, I think of feel. I think of, you know, variation. I think of, you know, almost doing what comes to you on that on natural on that day. Now, again, I'm not specifically talking about you as a doubles player, whereas Louis Louis' system is quite quite rigid in terms of, you know, you move there, you do that, you hit there, you play that percentage. How does that work for you as 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 a, as a t- tennis player? Yeah, um, I've had that chat with Louis a couple of times because, like you said, his his, his system is is a little bit. You know, you do this, it, it comes here, you go there, and for me, that's not exactly how I want to play. A hundred percent of the time, um, I believe it's the right way to play doubles for sure. And when I was playing with Bambridge. I think he kind of accepted that, you know, we could maybe do a few more shots than maybe some of the guys he'd worked with. Um, and he always said to us, have have creativity within the system. Okay. Um, and that that's probably the one thing that resonate, resonates with me, with what he told me was, you know, just have creativity within the system. So you're playing to a system. If you have to do something, that's when you do it. You know, it's, I've actually I've been going through a similar thing as to what I, I was doing uh, early on in my singles career, whereas, you know, I'm trying to kind of work out who I am as a, you know, doubles player on my own. So I've been kind of doing that with Tobes for like the last six, seven months. Um, because at times, you know, if I was working with Louis 12 months of the year and he could travel with me everywhere, it'd be absolutely class. But you kind of have to work it out on your own at times as well. Um, and I was I was struggling a little bit with that. You know, I'd kind of, you know, go to the, the camp at Boca and I'd go play unbelievable for two months. And then I wouldn't be able to see him for a while or I wouldn't be able to see Tobes. I'd be on my own and I'd lose something in my game. And I wouldn't actually know how to fix it because I was kind of, you know, I was just being given the knowledge. This is what you do. That's how you do it. Bosh, go do it. So I've kind of, yeah, just kind of, you know, got my base level. And then, and then yeah, Louis after that is, you know, he, for me, he was almost too good of a coach because he was literally just putting it on a plate for me. He would tell me what to do and I'd execute it. And I wouldn't even really know how I was executing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that for me has been quite an interesting last seven months just to, just to kind of, you know, have my own game, have my own style, uh, kind of know what I am as a player, competitor. Um, and now that I feel that I can fully take everything that he says on board, whereas... You know, before at times, I'm kind of like, I remember the first few sessions I had with him, I, I said, I'd always have a little chat with Tobes before. And I'd say, mate, just get your book and just write everything that he says. Because I, I I don't have a clue what's going on here. Um, I think that lasted for like six months. Like, you know, how many, I mean, how many lessons do we have out of one session from Louis? One session from Louis is like a month of lessons. So I'd literally, by the end of the hour and a half, I'd be like, I'd be like kind of shaking a little bit because I'd be like, I've just been pumped with info here. Um, 
so yeah Tobes would just be behind me just scribbling it yeah. all down so that, that's um, where it works quite well because like now you've spent a lot of time finding out exactly what you want and what, what you need so when you go and see Louis it's far more specific and you can sift yeah. through a lot of the, the stuff and then you can cherry pick what you need I think that's probably something that we've done quite well is Louis gives so much information and, and help and support that sometimes it's quite difficult for a player to take on board because there's so many elements that he's given so I think that's probably worked quite well that I can sift through what I feel is very specific and important for Johnny so I, can, I, I, I sort of rephrase it and reword it in Toby speak so it's a little bit easier for Johnny to, to remember on the court Mr Boo Mr Boo psycho <laughs> exactly Mr, <laughs> Mr Boo steps up <laughs> And, and, and Toby, for you, like one thing speaking to Louis again, even on the podcast, it was like, whoa, you just come and like with so many like different amazing, amazing things. But he talked about how he actually thinks that it's more challenging being a doubles coach. Um, you know, sometimes doubles coaches don't get the respect as doubles players don't get the respect that they should, you know, and I love what you said, Johnny, a tennis player is a tennis player and a tennis coach is a tennis coach. And if you reach the highest levels of any of them, you have done in incredibly well. And why he said was he, what he was saying was I have to coach the, the juice player. I have to coach the ad player. And then I have to coach the team. So he was, he was saying that there was three jobs now, you're Johnny O'Mara's coach. So if Johnny O'Mara is playing, and I know you're not playing with him anymore, but if Johnny O'Mara is playing with Arvello or Johnny O'Mara this week is playing with Lloyd Glasspole, where do you fit in terms of helping the team, helping Johnny's partner? You know, is it just about helping Johnny and making sure he's doing his role? Yeah, well, I think the first and foremost... I'm, I'm always going to be the consistent rock for Johnny. So no matter who he's playing with, win or lose, I'll always be there for Johnny and his coach. But I think something that certainly has been noticeable, I think most of the times that Johnny's played with that, a new partner or a different partner, like so for the next few weeks, you've probably got a few different partnerships coming in. So I kind of spend a little bit of time sort of gelling them together. Um, so like if Johnny's got anything that he feels he would like to say to the other player, then I, I would be the sort of the... The sort of the gel to make that sort of team click. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, if there's uncomfortable words that need to be said, that maybe Johnny's, something's not right, I, I can then pass that on to the player or Johnny feels there's something that the other guy could do. I think that's something that I kind of almost like build the team up most weeks. It was quite interesting. It was good with Aravalo because that was something I kind of took more of a lead on the team on that one. And again, it was just making sure the guys are just building up a really strong unit so they're understanding each other tactically and also just little things as well, like how they want to operate off the court. Like, do they want to go for dinner? Do they want to practice together? And it's just trying to make sure that everything's easy for the guys. I think that's something that's been done, just gelling them together. That's very yeah, it was, different. It was, Sorry, it, Johnny. It was, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a good set that we had with for, for, for quite a while with Aravalo because... Um, you know, like Tobe said, he, you know, he would, and it was like Louis said, he would coach me on being my side. He'd coach Aravalo on being his side. And then he'd have to do the team as well. And I thought Tobes was, Tobe was doing a great job of that. Um, for that partnership to keep kept working, I, I actually said to Aravalo, I said, you know, it'd be a good idea maybe if, you know, we both had Toby and we both, you know, kind of worked, you know, together like that. But yeah, we, we just ended up not being on the, on the same wavelength and, uh, that was a shame because it was definitely 
it was building into into something quite nice. Yeah, it's just a shame because that was a really good sort of January, February that you had, and then obviously with the the virus kicking in, and that that kind of killed things for about six months. And um, I think it was good when we're all spending time together and just just working out how the team was actually building. I think mm-hmm. the practices were good, the communication lines were very good with with all with with you, Aravalo, and Aravalo's coach, and everybody was kind of building. But just that lack of lack of time on court together and lack of communication that kind of killed things. Because you now the bit that jumps out to me there, Toby, with you is you've talked so passionately about connecting with the person, you know, observing them, working out what they like. That must then be quite challenging that all of a sudden some random dude rocks up that you've got to, you've got to within 24 hours, 48 hours, be giving those sort of instructions or, or, or working in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think again, it's just general communication. Like me and Johnny know how we work really well. Um, but we've got to then sort of talk to the other players. So one of the first things we do when we meet up is we'll have like a team chat. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to help you? This is how Johnny likes to operate. Do you want to join in and do it our way? Or is there anything you want me to help you out with? And everybody's going to be different. Um, and we did, like with Qureshi, was that in Marseille, he was very keen to do like little chats after the match and just have like a team debrief. And that was something that worked for him. Um, in terms of practice, he was quite happy doing his own thing. It was fairly general. Whereas someone like Aravalo, he was quite keen to actually let me do some work with him specifically. So it's just spending a little bit of time and investing at this beginning just to find out what they need and what they, how they want to operate. Torbs is, you're, you're asking him about his, uh, that's his best trait, that is, that's his best skill. <laughs> the, honestly, you have no idea. The amount of randomers that see, he just has this face, I think. That, <laughs> If someone wants a chat or, or something's happening, they end up chatting to Tobes. So, I mean, yeah. you know, that's his wheelhouse. You're asking him his bread and butter there. Yeah, always attract the pub nutter. <laughs> yeah, it's his, num- it's, his, it's his number one skill, how to deal with, how to deal with chats. His communications, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I've never met anyone with, with communication skills like Toby. <laughs> like Carl Pilkington. <laughs> you need to set up your own podcast, Toby. <laughs> yeah have a chat with Tobes <laughs> yeah and just yeah and just sit just sit in a cafe or something or something like that with your mind and, and, and anyone who decides to come up to you just have a chat because yeah. you will get some you'll get some yeah, I'm just uh, I'm an emotional an emotional absorber yeah. I, you, you could make some proper money out of counselling I tell you what it's not, it's I tell him to do that I tell him to do that all the time I said Tobes you for sure should you should be a counsellor, mate. You should be a tennis coach. Yeah, well, yeah, go down the, with you, mate. Go, go, down the, go down the psychology route or go down the counselling route because that's the way. I mean, you're wasted. I said you're wasted working with wasting me. Wasting my talents. Yeah. And on the, psych, on the psychology, Johnny, you mentioned earlier that, um, that you're speaking to a psychologist. Where, I don't know if you listened to Lloyd Glasspool, your 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 partner this week's comment, but he he just very bluntly said on the podcast, "I do not believe in sports psychology." With his with his words, uh, which is a very Lloyd very Lloyd comment. So I do like to ask the guests about it. I'm a big believer in it if it's done the right way. Um, how long have you been speaking to a sports psychologist? How how does that whole process work, and and how much has it helped you? Well, my dad's a my dad's a doctor in psychology, so oh wow, um, 
Yeah, it's time I've been speaking to a psychologist for a very long time. <laughs> uh, no, but definitely my dad helped me when I was younger. Um, and then it got to the stage where I was kind of like, you know, dad, I kind of want you to be, you know, my dad and not my, not a psychologist. You know, I was like, let's, you know, let's remember that relationship over over the psychology one. So, yeah, maybe for a while I was kind of like, you know, I don't believe in psychology or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I think it it's probably wrongly or rightly, it's an, supposedly a negative. If you're going to a psychologist, you've got something wrong with you mentally. You know, that's for me, that's and, and I know that, you know, I'll speak to Lloyd about it tomorrow because I'd be quite interested to know. And I feel like, I mean, Lloyd's a great tennis player and all this. I think he's a little bit negative, but we'll, we'll be working on that next week, I think. Um, so I, I think I think he'll probably look at that and go, oh, well, if you're, if you're speaking to a psychologist, then, you know. He said that. He did say yeah. that. Yeah. If you're working with a psychologist, then, you know, you're, you're not very good mentally. But, you know, that's that for me is not how it is. It's a huge part of the game is, you know, obviously psychology. You know, so many players can hit the ball well, especially on, you know, if you're looking at the singles guys, let's, you know, let's use singles, for example. They can all, they're all great athletes. They're all great tennis players. You, you couldn't really notice much difference between a guy 350 and 100 if you see them on a practice court. But it's, you know, it's all, it's all between the ears. I mean, look at, look at Dan Evans. He's one of the best competitors, you know, I've ever seen. You know, of course, he's very skillful and he's, he's a great mover. He's a great athlete. But, you know, his, his mentality is incredible. So, you know, it's something that I, I remember speaking to Colin Fleming about it. Um, I just said, I kind of said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Like, what's your thoughts? I remember he said that, you know, he actually wished he'd done it. And yeah, it was, again, it was, you know, it was, for me, it was a similar decision as, well, I'll go into doubles now because if I can do it now, I got more chance of being top 10 when I'm 28, 29 than I do if I just go in at 26, 27, because, you know, you have to, you know, things take time. So, yeah, I was, again, I was fully invested in it. I'd, I'd spoken to psychologists when I was at NTC, but that, again, was maybe pushed on to me as, you know, you're mentally not great, so let's let's do this. Um, and this was the first time that I decided I wanted to do it. And, you know, I feel it's obviously in my nature that I have to buy into things. So it was, yeah, it was something that I bought into. So I went in with an open mind, which is obviously the perfect way to, to go for everything. Um, and I'm absolutely loving it. I think it's working absolute treat. I first wanted to do it because I kind of wanted to get back into enjoying the game, uh, remembering why, you know, why I play tennis. That was the first conversation, you know, I kind of had was, you know, what do you play tennis for? Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for others? Um, and then from then, it's just kind of progressed into, into different things and, I'm absolutely loving it. I feel like I'm, yeah, you know, whether it's helping my tennis, I, I think it is. I know that when I walk on court and stuff, I'm, you know, I have so many more tools to deal with the situations that I have. And then also if things don't work out, things don't work out and we move on to the next week. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd recommend it, but I think it's, it works for different people. And, um, you know, I feel like, I definitely have to, and it, you know, probably good for others as well, but you have, you have to buy into things yourself and you can't really have them forced onto you. I think I actually saw an interview with Thomas Tuchel yesterday or, or today. And he said that, you know, if you force things, then 
he was speaking about Werner's striking, his finishing, and he said if you force things, they tend to not happen. You know, if you're if you want to date a woman, she doesn't really and she doesn't really want to. If you force it, she's not having any of it. If you know, if you kind of take a sit, sit back and 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 see, and that's you know, that's kind of you know what I think you have to do. You just have to kind of buy into it and and just be just be ready for things to, to happen. Have an open mind. I think as well, like when we were, was it in Forley in Italy? You know, like with yeah. quite an open. And I and and to be fair, I I'd, I'd also decided. I said, you know what? I can't keep abuse. I can't keep abusing Toby's yeah, kind. Was- I couldn't I couldn't go he's my tennis coach he's my psychologist he's my counselor I said I've got to yeah. bring someone else in here yeah, we, need, we need someone else to be friends of the team yeah. <laughs> but I think when you were doing that process though like you had a really quite an open honest chat with us and we were just two of us were chatting away and it's it's almost like you know if you want to get fitter in certain areas you go to the gym and you ask somebody that's an expert in that area you want to improve your doubles tactics or, or what you do on the court, we go and see Louis. And you felt at that time it was something that would really help you. So once you've identified that area of your game, you go and find the best person that's going to be suitable to help you out. And But again, as you were saying, when you were younger, perhaps in the environment you were in, somebody would force that upon you. So it was then seen as a very much a negative thing. You need to fix this really bad problem that you have. Now you're actually going part of my game that I would like to improve and I would like to get help to, to make me able to do that. So you then go and seek the, the best advice possible, but it's very much done on your terms rather than it being thrust on you. I think that's when you start to mature as a person on and off the court, you start to, you know, start to fix the problems that you want, want sorted. It's a very strong, consistent theme coming through in this chat is that, you know, not not forcing anything upon anyone, you know, ultimately player has to decide when they when they want to make the change, if they want to make the change, you know, and the coach is there to to provide the, the correct, accurate information. And then if the player decides to take it on, you know, they'll do that in their in their own way. And I, I'm I'm a really strong believer. Some people might not go with this, but I, I think in 10, 15 years a mental fitness coach, which is what I prefer to call it than a psychologist, will be as normal as a physical fitness coach in the world of in the world of sport. You know, I, I really do. And yeah. you know, I, I you wouldn't you wouldn't play to a top class level in any sport without without having a specific physical fitness coach that's taking care of your body and and I don't think you'll find anybody in the game that won't say how important the mind is yet for some reason yeah. people have been reluctant to say well actually that's an area that I'm going to build my fitness on as well you know and I, I think fair play to you Johnny on doing it and I think actually I bet you if you went in the top 100 in the world right now on men's and women's side the percentage of players that are working whether they say it or not will will be extremely high my my last bit that I'd like to jump into before we go to the quick fire round is again. And I go to you first, Johnny. I talk a lot on the podcast around success measures and, and how, how people ultimately measure success. And there's, there's obviously many different ways of doing that. 
the, tr- the traditional one and the one that I think everyone will have is win and lose <laughs> ranking, you know, those sort of things, but not just winning and losing. How would you measure success on your career now and also in the future? Uh, again, it's, 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 it's another one that I always, I always say to, to Tobes that, you know, you have to have that chat with, with the player. Like you kind of one ha- have to find out how ambitious they are. Because, you know, if you don't know how ambitious they are or what actually, you know, what they actually want to do with their career, then you don't know how to work with them. Um, And we always had this discussion that, you know, I want to be competing at slam levels. I want to be competing with the best players in the world. I have no ranking goals whatsoever. Um, You know, if I was to make it to top 10, great. But for me, I'm I'm, I'm happy with, with, with what I'm doing if I'm able to compete, if I'm able to do the best things I can do on the court, you know, like I said, I, I grew up and I wanted to be a tennis player. I was adamant I was going to be a tennis player and I'm able to do that. So for me, that's, that's successful. And there's not many male British tennis players in the last, however long that have actually made a career in tennis and that, you know, to sit, to be able to, you know, have a career in tennis for me is, big success so 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 like you know i said i think there was when i was speaking to toby about it there was maybe 11 players that were currently making money from the sport um and that for me is a, is a success because you know i'm doing what i love i'm doing what i love for for, for a career um you know i'm gonna lose last year i didn't win a i didn't win a tournament last year so i lost every week of the year but i pretty much enjoyed every week that i went I was able to make money. I'm able to, you know, I mean, it's just when I, when I was on the Futures Tour, you know, I, I was living out of a suitcase. The amount of conversations I'd have with Scott, you know, we'd be having to, you know, if we had a, we had a flight the next, early the next morning, we were staying at the, the, the airport floor. We weren't getting a hotel. And now I'm able to get a hotel. Now I have a, I'm able to have a nice life back home. I'm able to train as a job. I mean, I can go home and spend five days of the week, six days of the week, going to Sterling, going to Edinburgh, doing some gym, seeing Toves. So for me, that's, that's, that's how I measure my success. It's, it will be when I'm done, when I'm however old, it won't be, you know, kind of rankings or, or tournaments, you know, they, they're all complete added bonuses, but, you know, just to be able to, you know, for me, do this as a, as a career, because, I mean, I walk around some of the tournaments and I, I see the players and stuff like that. And I'm, it's madness, you know, madness that, you know, who you're able to play against. Like the other day I was in a, in a tournament. If I won, we played Songa. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's madness stuff. So, um, yeah, just to, yeah, like I said, just to kind of, to, to be on this tour, to be having, you know, created this kind of life for myself, I see that as, as a success. And anything that now comes from that for me is, is an ad bonus. And I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's so refreshing to hear. And, it, and again, what's coming through loud and clear is a big, big success measure for you is one is happiness and, and enjoying your life. And two is and two is gaining and having more experiences, you know, m- more life experiences, more experiences through this sport. At what point, though, is there a is there a perfect balance between, I guess, the 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 fun and the experience 
to the obsession and the and not the desperation but the the will to to win you know how do you get that right balance and i guess how long can you stay in this place mentally as you are right now yeah definitely because obviously you know it, you look at yeah and again that's probably i always say i always say it's probably again one of the reasons that you know maybe i didn't make it in singles or or something like that it's probably because you know i'm maybe not as not as driven in that way um or like you say i don't use the word obsession and that's probably what it is but you know i've come to accept that you know what that's that's who i am um and exactly i now have to find that balance and and toby's helping me with that um you know constantly challenging me because you know that's what it, it needs if, if i was out there on my own or if i was training on my own would i challenge myself as much as I do on a weekly basis because of what Toby's doing, probably not. And again, that's that, that for me is, you know, I touched on it. I touched upon it earlier on. That's, that's a talent. There's so many different talents out there that, you know, you can't just, you can't just see a tennis player who's hitting good drop shots, hitting good lobs and say, Oh, he's talented because, you know, I could name, I could name 30 other talents right now and you need them all. You need every single one of them. If you want to be, a, you know, if you want to do what Andy Murray's done or Djokovic has done, you have to have them all. And I just feel, you know, like you said, I need to definitely find that balance. I think I'm doing a pretty good job of it the last six months. Um, I feel like I've had a great six months um, training wise and stuff. Uh, before the COVID lockdown, um, I, we had a lot of success. And I think that was after I after a, a pretty rough patch and Torb's challenged me to do certain things after a bad week in Australia. And I went and made quarters the next week. And I actually challenged him to do the exact same things back. So I said, well, if you're, if you're not doing it, I'm not going to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's not easy out there. You know, it's, it's difficult. It's tough. Um, and, you know, that's why I kind of, you know, when I'm speaking to a few guys back in Scotland, you know, the younger ones coming up and they go, oh, I want to be the next end. I want to be world number one. I want to win Wimbledon. There's always a part of me that's just a little bit like, you know, it's great and stuff. Like, I love that. It's unbelievable. But you know, how, do you know how tough it is? Like, do you know what he's done to, you know, I always like kind of just think like, oh, you know, it's great. I love it. I love that. That's, is that, a, I'm always like, is that a dream though? Oh no, no, it's not a dream. It's a goal. And I'm like, it's just a big goal. You know, it's pretty, pretty tough. But yeah, you know, I'm, you gotta be, like you said, you gotta be happy with what you're doing. And that, that for me is number one. And then, you know, let's try and work on number two to, to get the balance. I, I just, I love that you're mature enough to say that about yourself and to have that self-awareness of yourself because we do know to Andy Murray is obsessed. He's been obsessed from the age of nine years old, you know, Nadal, Serena Williams, you know, you go, you go, you go through them yet. Everyone starts out on this journey and, they claim to be obsessed or they or they claim to want to achieve something but don't have that obsession so they end up just setting themselves up for failure after failure after failure after failure and i always believe that the the gap between reality and expectation is where a lot of things go wrong 
And the closer you can get your reality and your expectation gap, you know, the, the easier it is to be content, the easier it is to accept certain situations. And ultimately, the easier it is then to live a happy and fulfilled life. And, and it just seems to me that you've got that of course not perfect and of course that reality and the expectation will change over the next few years seeing songer on the court now age 25 26 is probably quite quite nice 32 when you've played marseille seven years in a row and you're seeing young guns coming up or you're seeing the same guys you've seen for seven eight years then it's it's all going to change but i just think if you're able to continue having that self-awareness and that self-reflection and obviously having toby by your side on that uh i i don't think you're going to go far wrong with it or we're going to be we're going to turn into professional vloggers. We haven't quite decided yet. <laughs> I definitely think I think there's definitely a world for that. And Toby, but I, I want to ask you the same question because you know one thing I think a lot of people again don't realize about tennis coaching. You're basically committing for the most part, I would imagine, 20, 25 weeks of your life to a 25 year old guy who who's got a lovely beard, who likes to play a bit of tennis and who's a decent player. It's a massive commitment, <laughs> you know? So what's, what's your success measure as a coach? 25 um, weeks a year is 24, seven, 365 <laughs> minutes. Oops. It's just constant. <laughs> um, no, I think, you know, it's fairly obvious that Johnny is a, a very, very good tennis player. Um, it's very exciting that he's, he's on the tour. But I think the, Certainly in the last six months, I think the most satisfying thing is all the work that's been done about getting him to, to feel that he wants to be on the court. Um, I think it would be fair to say, you know, like you talked earlier about your dream was or your goal was to be a professional tennis player. And then all of a sudden you're there. And I think it's probably taken a good couple of years to get yourself used to being on the tour and what it's like and what it's involved. Um and I think as well, the last six months in particular, I think you've done a lot of work on and off the court and to try and get that balance where, you know, tennis is not, it'd be fair to say, it's not all consuming and you have to have time away from it. So I think there's been things like trying to work out how you feel at your best when you're at a tournament. So I think most of the time we've kind of agreed it's like, you know, you go in, you do your work, you do your job to the best of your ability. But once the job's done, you go away and go back to the room, watch Game of Thrones or whatever it is we decide to do. You, you separate that. And I think as well, like in the past, when you're younger, when you go home, it's tennis. When you go to tennis club, obviously you're training hard. You, you, you just don't get away from it. And I think there's that's it's a little bit unhealthy. So I think what's happened now is you've spent so much time getting your life in order. So you get a great setup at home. When you finish your work or you finish your training, you then go, you go back home and you're feeling happy. Then when you go back onto the tennis court to train, you feel good about that as well. So I think getting that balance where your, your whole life is in order is so, so important. And I think probably in the last two years, you've, got, you've adjusted to being a professional tennis player and learned what it's like. And I think as well, what you're talking about is when you, when you feel ready to commit to the next level to get your top 10 ranking, you do it in your own time when you feel happy to do it rather than just blindly trying to do something that you don't really know enough about. So I think that's, that's been a, a real big thing in the last two years and certainly the last six months 
just getting everything in good order. I look at it, he speaks well, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think the the last to be honest, the last year's been a huge eye opener for that as well. For I'm sure for everyone because yeah. I mean it's obviously been such a a tough year and tennis players have had to you know be home and stuff like that and you know you've seen a lot more like I think in all sports I think it's probably you know maybe been a little bit of a shift in in certain areas like my mum works for for uh, for Boots as a pharmacist so so her last year has just been absolutely crazy and you kind of you know, you see that and you you realise, you know, you're outside this, you know, obviously the, the 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 main word at the moment is bubble, but you're outside the tennis bubble and you're kind of seeing what, you know, what's going on that, you know, what's happening. And, you know, like Toby said, you know, obviously I was able to see my mum doing that. I was able to spend time with, you know, my girlfriend at home and, and a couple of dogs and, and realise, you know, life is great outside of tennis. Um and then, you know, like you said, if, if it's all tennis, it's very difficult to to keep it fresh. Whereas now it's all it feels really fresh for me as well, because, you know, I go to the tennis courts and then I go away and it's it's done. You know, that's that's the that's the day done. You, you go in to gym in the morning, go play tennis. That's your Tuesday done. You, you then completely forget about it. So, um, yeah, I think the last year has been been great for that, whether it's been a negative or a positive you know, we'll soon find out, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, big match, big match on Monday. See if it's been a yeah, positive no pressure, match. Huh? No yeah. pressure. <laughs> and the 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 big question I came away from, as I said earlier, I listened to you both on Chris's podcasts today. I had listened previous, but I thought, right, let's do my homework here. And I was left with one burning question in my head, and that this is a question for you, Johnny. Has Toby's tennis improved during lockdown? Mate, it's mental that you say that. The best bit of coaching that has happened between me and Toby <laughs> was me to him. And he would be the first person to yeah. say that. It was at Glen Eagles. I'd kind of, I think it was it was around Christmas time and uh, there was a bit of restrictions in and there was a little part of me that was like, Tobes, mate, we're kind of doing the same thing here. Like, let's do a quick 30 minutes for me. And let's move on to you because there's a lot of your game I'm not that happy with. Um, <laughs> and I just wanted I just wanted a change on his forehand because he always talks about his backhand and how good his backhand is. And, but I saw potential in the <laughs> forehand. We hate the word potential, but it was there. Um, yeah. And we just made we made a couple of changes to the forehand. And I God tops tell him it's absolutely ridiculous. It's unreal. <laughs> it's it's what Johnny would say. It's as close to a professional forehand as I could have hoped for. <laughs> <laughs> because my, my, my issue with Tobes is that, that his forehand was awful and it would, it would never come <laughs> to me. Like, it would work, you know, it would go in, but I'd always it would tell go him, in the said, court, but that was it. <laughs> yeah, I'd say to him, look, <laughs> I never face a ball like this, ever. I said, we've got to try and find a way. So, I mean, to it was be a fair proper coach's forehand. Yeah, when he stands now in the corner and we're going four and cross, it could be anybody hitting with me. It's a, it's a proper ball flight he's got going. Um, so we, we, we've moved we, we've moved off the forehand. We've moved on to the backhand because there's zero left leg involved. So we need to get that back in. Yeah, um, we need to get some body rotation. <laughs> honestly, in the last in the last year and a half, I would say I've improved ten percent. Toby's improved like 65, 70%. <laughs> but the good thing is that's part of the thing. Like when we do a team thing to keep it fun, 
I'll always join in and do the sessions. And you, you enjoy seeing me trying so hard to be average. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I try, I peel myself off the court every time. <laughs> Guys, Glasgow, Glasgow, Fu- Glasgow Futures 2022. Surely we got to be getting a wild card. Smith and O'Mara in wild yeah, card. In- everything in my power. <laughs> Come on. I'll be yeah. knocking on a few doors. <laughs> is he is he allowed to is he allowed to serve inside the baseline? That's the only way we can do it. Yeah, Guys, not hit a, he's not hit a serve for the last two years outside the baseline. <laughs> that that can be the six month. That could be the next six months to get that serve yeah. going from the baseline. Yeah, that's the next plan. No, Boy, no, it's returns the next bit. That is where we're going. <laughs> Boys, I. I before we move into the quick fire, I think it's a, I think it's a lovely way to end actually because it, it, for the listeners they'll pick that up just just how well you two do get on. I think there's there's nothing that says love like taking the piss out of each other. Um, you know to be able to have that <laughs> that relationship to be able to be able to do that. Um, you're both brilliant lads, you know. And, Toby, I've known you for a long time. Johnny, I've I've known you loosely for a long time, and and I wish you all the very very best for for the rest of this year. I really do, and and for and for the career ahead. But are you ready for the quick fire round? Control the controllables. Let's have a go. So, I think I'm ready, but I'm not sure. Toby, <laughs> Toby, I'll have to I have to buy into it first. Toby, you're not great. Yeah. It's sticking to the rules sometimes, so. Um, you're gonna go first. Like to be. You're gonna go. Okay. You're gonna go first. So the first answer is Toby, and then second answer Johnny. Um, if you don't want to answer, just just give me a hand sign, and we'll move on. Uh, your favorite Grand Slam. Aussie Open. Aussie Open. Your favorite court surface. Hey. Grass. You're going to go first for the next two, Johnny. I'm going to switch it up. Singles or doubles? Doubles. Doubles. One thing that you would change about Toby. <laughs> Guy snores like you cannot believe. <laughs> <laughs> And one, <laughs> and one thing you would change about Johnny? Uh, winding me up and throwing out nibbles all the time. <laughs> and we're going to go now, Toby. Give me first. <laughs> Toby first. <laughs> Serve or return? Serve. Return. Should there be an injury timeout or not during the match, Toby? Depends. On what? Situation. <laughs> if it's going to be useful. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say yeah. I'd say yeah. Fair safe than sorry. And and Johnny, yeah. move, moving to you first. What do you think is the best scoring system for doubles? I would, I would have advantages, but I'd keep the match tiebreak because I think that that makes it different different from singles. And 
no matter where I am, if, if it's an under 12s, under 14s, whatever, if I see there's a match tiebreak going on, I stand and I watch it for, for however long because it's, it's madness. But you'd have advantages. Yeah. And, and you, Toby? Uh, yeah, I would definitely keep the, the match tiebreak. It's good, uh, it's good entertainment. Um, I think, yeah, I think it would be fairer to have advantages. And what about Grand Slams, Johnny? Grand Slams, I'd be, I'd be happy with anything, to be honest. I, I always get excited to play the Wimbledon because it's best of five. But could you keep watching a doubles match for best of five set matches every slam? I'm not sure. that we'll, We might keep it at three. But full. We'll keep it full three. Any opinion? Yeah, full three in Grand Slams. Current format of the rest of the tour. Davis Cup or ATP Cup, Toby? Davis Cup for sure. Well, he has so to say that. His brother's, family, brother's family leader. Family He's got to back my wee bro. Got to back my wee bro. Davis Cup uh, all day. Dave, Davis for me. Davis for me, yeah. And one rule change that you would have in tennis, Johnny? Um, well, it's not... Yeah, a rule change, I would say. Looser, looser rules around code violations. I think you get code violation too easy. I mean, you, players can't even express themselves for that. And doubles, it's not a rule. I'd happily get away of this whole etiquette of you need to, you need to touch your partner every point. That does my head in. It's now become like it's now become like a routine that you have, you have to do this, you know. That let's just keep it random, you know. If you want to get pumped at some stage, great. If not, leave it. It's not a rule, but I changed the etiquette of it. Like it. Longer injury timeouts. <laughs> <laughs> if and if ladies, and it always depends. <laughs> I would also an etiquette one would be apologising on net cords. We're done with that. Don't like that. We don't mean it, do we? Yeah, that's, that's, because, that's because you're the dirtiest player in Glasgow. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and who should our next guest be, Toby, on the podcast? Next guest. I'd love to hear an in-depth one with Lloyd talking about psychologists. <laughs> oh, no, you wouldn't want to hear that. <laughs> That's a, that's a cop-out answer. I'm coming back to you. I need, I need more than that. Okay. Who would I want to listen to? Adam Brown. There you go. Adam Brown, Coach Holland. Yeah, that would be uh, good. Does a great job for development, participation, and we need more guys like that on the ground. I'm with that. Good, good shout. And Johnny? I mean, if Scotty Clayton's been asking, then you got to get him on for sure. <laughs> Anyone that asks to get on the pod has to get on the pod. Um, and then my other one would be uh, Flembo, Colin Fleming. He'd, he'd be a great one. He would be. He's on the Good list show. as well. He's on the list. Boys, absolutely cracking talking to you both. Um, get stuck into Lloyd on the psychology tomorrow. Let me know how that goes, Johnny. <laughs> And uh, don't eat too much pasta. This yeah, week. I will do. There's some serious food in it. Oh, it's been brilliant. Thank you, Dan. Dan, mate, enjoyed it. Loved it. Thanks for that. Great talking. Good luck, boys. Yeah, stay yeah. in touch. A big thank you to, to Johnny and Toby for coming on to the show. It, it certainly didn't feel like I was doing any form of podcast or, or certainly any type of work having a conversation with them both. They're such easy company. 
you know, they bring such a, a relaxed manner to, to every conversation. And that's just how Johnny plays tennis on the court as well, you know, and wishing them all the best for, for the rest of 2021. And as always, to bring Vicky into the conversation, last time with Tom Gullickson, you had to have the, the tissues out for the tears of the emotion, but I would imagine maybe some tears of laughter with this one. Yeah, that was great fun. Um, they just It just sounds like they have so much fun together. You know, we often hear um, players kind of reflecting on their careers, saying, actually, I found the travelling really difficult, um, or looking back, I wasn't that happy, I was away from home quite a lot, but... They both of them actually sound like they have just a really good time together. Yeah, and, and uh, exactly. And uh, when we look at a tennis career, it's a relatively short time, you know. And I think we can we can really intensify that and get a little bit caught up that it's the only thing in the world that matters. But it really feels as if Torby's helped Johnny to understand where tennis fits into his life. Uh, it's obviously got him relaxed on the court. There's a there's a real connection there to have honest conversations. I don't I don't imagine that there's any difficulty for either of them to have an honest conversation if someone's annoying each other. And that's when you get to the real meaningful part of a relationship. And uh, it was certainly lovely to hear how that's developed from a from a very young age. And it seems to me that it's going to continue to develop as well. Yeah, I don't think you can underestimate the power of laughter, really. For for a player, that would be your kind of ideal relationship with a coach, isn't it? Someone that you respect, look look up to, admire, but yet have a really good time with. And as a coach as well, they, they are spending a lot of time together. And yeah, for me, um, you know who it actually reminded me of? When I was listening to the episode, I kept thinking about Jerry Maguire. <laughs> you know that scene where, um, oh, what's his name? Ron Tillman, whatever, yeah. the Cuba Cooding Jr. Show me the money, that character. And he has that big moment on the field and he comes out the lift and all the journalists and photographers, they all rush and surround him. And he's like, where's Jerry? Where's Jerry? And they rush and give each other a big hug, like big, big man hug. And then Cushman... The other footballer is standing with his agent, who's a bit awkward, and he looks at his agent and goes, why can't we have that relationship? And it just really reminds me, you can't, remind me of that moment, because you can't force no. a coach-player relationship. It's it's either there or it's not. It's a natural, um, yeah, it's a natural progression, I think, and they seem to have it in abundance. But we're still in a, in a world in tennis where federations are, are putting coaches on players and, and agents are putting coaches on players you know and it's there's there's something about what we have to continually remember and it's coming out to be a bit of a buzzword now but to to look at the person first and and it, it goes without saying you know get 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 that connection it's really going to help uh, but I, I can't help thinking though with Johnny he's obviously fighting still some demons you know from his younger age you know I did definitely pick that up and you know where he's now gonna go with his with his tennis, he's taken doubles on at a very early age, and he's not setting himself any goals. And I thought that was really interesting as well. You know, when I did challenge him a little bit through the show on at what point does that become a bit boring of just turning up and having these experiences, and what is his driving force gonna be in three, four, five years time? Now, there's no doubting that he has the talent to to really go a long way in the game. Um, but yeah, certainly wish them both extremely well. 
And as always, when we're speaking to British doubles players, another big, big shout out to Louis Caillé. Um, not only Johnny talking about how much he'd learned from him and how much he's helping his game, but Toby too, helping him on the coaching side. Did you say episode one or two, Louis Caillé? Oh, what a show off. <laughs> um, yeah, no, again, Louis, he is. He's the, he's the godfather of, of doubles. And it was actually Johnny even said himself, he said one of the reasons he started playing doubles is because Louis was there. You know, and it was almost like I now we have the opportunity to get this just amazing information, and and what an asset he's been for British tennis, and for him to be able to to plug into that, and I guess he was a little bit afraid that maybe if he didn't start playing doubles then, then maybe Louis's not there in a couple of years' time in that role, you know, and he certainly seems to have made made a smart decision, and yeah, another big shout out to Louis Kaya, amazing, amazing guy, amazing coach. And talking about Louis and the styles of coaching, it does seem like he has a very different coaching style to Toby and how he gets his message across. That was probably my biggest takeaway from talking to those guys and and speaking to coaches, just how there are so many ways to skin a cat. And, and I think sometimes we, we can feel as if coaching is passing on of knowledge where it absolutely isn't. You know, the, the ability to get those messages across. And as Johnny kept on telling us throughout the show, you know, Johnny's way of learning is he, he wants to take it on in his own time. He wants to almost feel like it's his own it's his own thing that he is changing. And and it seems like Toby's really mastered that with Johnny to just kind of nudge him in the right direction when he does want to make a change. Um, whereas a character like Johnny is gonna is gonna actually rebel against. You know, you you tell me this, okay, well I'm gonna do that. And and I think we can probably all relate to that. I'm sure we've got a couple of kids like that sitting at home that, you know, if we <laughs> If we want to teach them, teaching isn't just telling. You know, teaching is being creative, finding different ways around. And then the bit that I love about that is then the stickability of that information. When when the player or the person makes a decision to make a change, then absolutely that change is made and it sticks and it's then with them for a long time. So great, great lessons there. And uh, yeah, well done, Toby. You, you've, you've taught me a thing or two as well through that podcast. And a good fun episode to listen to as well. And talking of good episodes, um, we've had loads of, of comments and feedback from you guys about um, how much you've enjoyed Tom Gullickson's episode, which we released last week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Dan Evans got in touch talking about what an amazing guy he was and actually how influential Captain Gully had been uh, with him through conversations over the years. I've had lots of people telling me that they've never cried so much listening to a podcast, you know, and it really was heartfelt, you know, the the stories that were told, and 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 again, people in America, coaches in America that I that I know and that know Gully very well have reached out, and then because of that, there's been a couple that have reached out that want to also come onto the show as well, including one of Jim Courier's ex coaches who's good friends with Captain Gully. He listened to it, um, so watch out for that one in the next few weeks. Um, as we said through the last episode, we're really excited now to have our Instagram page up and running, which is ctc.podcast. One of our exclusives with the podcast is we will only follow guests that come on the show. So have a little look at that. And if you want to be followed by 
at ctc.podcast, then you better get yourself onto the show. There's also the website, controlthecontrollables.co.uk. we got lots of exciting things coming your way. I was just going to say, I want to watch Jerry Maguire tonight now. That's our evening entertainment <laughs> sorted. It is absolutely my favourite film in the whole world. And that's the first time you never mentioned that off air, that you'd pick that up from from that podcast. So that is a that is a big compliment if Toby and Johnny are listening because it's one of my all-time favourite movies. Um, if we ever get all of these podcasts done and different work, then yes, we will absolutely sit down and watch Jerry Maguire. Uh, but we might be leaving it for our summer holiday at some point. Wishful thinking. But until next time... I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>